Good evening. It is seven o'clock time to begin our Bible study for uh, the evening, praying that all is well with everyone out there. Uh, we are still uh, in the midst of uh, the social distancing and the quarantining, and so we are just making the best uh, of that. Uh, before we start with prayer this evening, I was asked if I would share uh, a message uh, with a uh, congregation from one of our elders uh, concerns our brother Michael Collada. And Brother Collada, if you're listening prayerfully, uh, all is well with you. Uh, the message that I was asked to pass on says that uh, Brother Collada's roommate, Jerry Crenshaw, has been fainting lately. He also has some breathing issues along with a fever. Earlier this morning, about 4 a.m., he got up from his bed and passed out, and they had to take him to ER. And so certainly we want to keep uh, Brother Collada's roommate, Jerry Crenshaw, in prayer, as well as all of those who are uh, dealing with uh, not just issues from the COVID-19, but uh, whatever their uh, health issues or concerns uh, may be. Uh, just so you know, we are not malfunctioning. I am uh, out the gate. I uh, was trying to make sure that I had control and could advance the slides. I have advanced them, and now I do not know how to uh, regress back to the point we were at. Uh, it should, oh, thank you, someone is helping me there. Uh, that is where we want to be, chapter 12, verse 1. Thank you. I believe that may have been Brother Chris, uh, Brother Chris or Brother Joe. Uh, thank you, brethren, uh, for being on top of things. Uh, let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank you, Father, for the blessings in life that we have. We thank you, Father, for this day, for all that you are and for all that you enable us to become. Father, we are grateful for the time that we have to spend together this evening, uh, studying together from your word. And we ask, oh God, your blessings upon us, that you would guard our hearts, guide our hearts and minds as we search through your word, that we might better understand your will and your way be better equipped to serve you in the living of these days. Father, we come at this time and we lift up uh, Jerry Crenshaw, we lift up Brother Collada and all of those names that we may not recall at any one time. Uh, but Father, we know all things are known to you, that all things uh, reside within your will. We ask, oh God, your blessing upon those who are dealing with health issues, whatever they might be, that you would be with those who minister to their care, Father, we pray for all of our first responders and all of those who are uh, risking their well-being and service to others at this time. We pray, Father, for the leaders of the nations and all of those who are in positions of authority, uh, that you would guide them in their decision-making. And Father, we ever pray for the church that you would bless us to be uh, the shining light that you have called us to be, that we would uh, influence this world for good and always be about the work of your kingdom. And Father, above all, we thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who makes it all possible. And in his name, we do pray and ask all things. Amen. Now, I have marked that we are at Exodus chapter 12. Uh, this uh, chapter 12 brings us, uh, I guess you could say, to the very height of the action uh, we've been building uh, towards uh, the 10th plague. 
we have seen in chapter 10 that uh, Pharaoh has threatened Moses on pains of his life not to see him again. Uh, we have been given uh, some information in chapter 11 uh, concerning the narrative. And now when we get to chapter 12, uh, in chapter 12, we'll find uh, some information concerning the Passover, uh, the last plague, and the uh, Israelites' departure uh, from Egypt. So let's begin reading there, uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse number one. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation is to kill it at twilight. And as we read through this portion of the Exodus, you'll find that God is very specific uh, in what he uh, requires of his people. Uh, concerning uh, this memorial, he's, he's always very specific uh, in what, terms of what man should do in obedience to him. Uh, but here God marks this as, uh, from this point in time, this will serve as the new year. Uh, whatever else the calendar may have been at this time, they are going to start marking time uh, from this period. And so God begins to give them instructions uh, concerning uh, the Passover. Uh, moving on to uh, starting at verse number seven. Okay, brethren, I don't, it says I can control the screen, uh, but nothing has happened. Uh, it says I'm viewing. Okay, so they may be, uh, if you all out there will just bear with us, sometimes the techno technology is not all that technological. Uh, let me see. I think this might, okay, it says click to start control, and there we go. All right, verse seven. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roast it with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roast it with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. One of the things uh, I want to mention this again, uh, we ought to give God what he requires uh, without trying to amend uh, for our own benefit or preference. Uh, you notice there in verse number 11, he says, it is the Lord's Passover. God instituted this and God tells them what he requires. Uh, that same principle is still true in our world today. Uh, when it comes to worship or serving God, it is God's place to tell us what to do. It is our place to obey, not to amend or change as a matter of preference uh, or convenience. Now, having said that, uh, more specifically dealing with the text uh, here, uh, verse number seven. Uh, so again, we have the institution and the explanation of the Passover feast. Uh, now, looking at verse 12, it states that this, uh, the 10th plague, uh, the one that's going to be the death of the firstborn, uh, this one in particular, and, and I believe you could say the same about all of the plagues, it just with some of the others, there were certain gods that were easy to pick out as to uh, an expected response. Uh, but in verse 12, uh, this plague in particular is intended to strike at all the gods of Egypt. And what God is doing is showing uh, his people, as well as the Egyptians, as well as the world, uh, that the gods of Egypt uh, were lifeless and powerless and altogether ineffective uh, against the power of the one true God. And so as we look at how uh, the Passover worked, uh, the key to God's passing over a house and his wrath not being visited uh, on it was obedience to his commands and in the same way, the key to our being spared is obedience to the gospel of Christ, uh, which allows us to be covered uh, by the blood of Christ. And again, we do not have any license or any authorization to amend or change what God requires in that regard. Uh, so now verse number 14. Now this day will be a memorial to you and you shall celebrated as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Uh, I am going to endeavor to stress as we go through uh, chapter 12 uh, into uh, chapter 13, uh, one of the things that God expects is for our faith to be generational. And when I say that, I mean for it to be passed on by the parents to the children. Uh, and that is specifically the parent's responsibility. Uh, verse number 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall have a holy assembly and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them except what must be eaten by every person. That alone may be prepared by you. You shall also observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th, on the 14th day of the month, 
at evening you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an alien or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Uh, so again, this is the command given by God to his people. God is very clear in the command. Uh, the information is actually restated uh, a number of times so as uh, there to be no room for misunderstanding. And we have introduced, uh, along with the Passover itself, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to serve as a memorial of God's work in delivering Israel uh, from the Egyptian bondage. Uh, the Passover was specifically uh, concerning uh, the death angel passing over uh, the houses of the Israelites where the blood uh, was on the door and over the post in agreement with the uh, command of God. Uh, verse number 21, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lentil and the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshiped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And so the question here is not why God commanded uh, what he commanded. Uh, the, the thing to be held in view is what God commanded. And the Israelites needed to do what God said in the way that God said do it if they wanted to receive uh, what God had uh, promised. And it's just uh, impossible to miss that uh, when you talk about uh, being obedient to God today, if we want to receive what God has promised, then we must do what God says in the way that he has commanded. And so when we consider here verses 21 through 28, Moses tells the people what to do to be delivered from the plague. Uh, now, anyone who is not spared uh, there was no problem with God. There was some problem in their obedience. Uh, and then verses 1 through 20, we have the details of the memorial. And then starting with 21, we return uh, to the narrative 
uh, of the 10th plague. Uh, so verse number 29, now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. And it's interesting, you know, this thing goes from Pharaoh even to the captive in the dungeon, which says when we stand before God, we are all accountable to God. And whatever we might be in the eyes of men, uh, everybody is subject to God. Uh, verse number 30, Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. And, and it's hard just to appreciate the magnitude of what the Egyptians were going through at this time. Uh, you know, for there to have died in every home, uh, the firstborn, uh, you know, I, I, the Bible says there was a great cry, and, and I don't think that's lost on us a, as to why. Uh, verse number 31, then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, rise, rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go and bless me also. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulders. Now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have their request. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And so one of the things you have to appreciate about the narrative, the narrative makes it very clear that all of this is happening as a result of the hand of God uh, being at work. Uh, when we look at this plague and contra uh, contrasting it with the first nine, uh, the first nine plagues follow what we could call a logical progression uh, where God used and intensified natural events and delivered them at the time of his choosing. But this 10th plague is in a realm uh, all its own. Uh, you will notice this is the one uh, in particular that broke Pharaoh. Uh, up to this point, he has tried to bargain. He has lied. He has threatened. Uh, but this one humbles him under the hand of God, and uh, he gives in to God's every demand. You can go, everybody can go, take all your stuff, go worship as you have said. Uh, God has just shown uh, that he is uh, in control, and Pharaoh has come to the realization uh, you cannot fight uh, the true God, the God Almighty. And so as uh, was mentioned, uh, this was, uh, back in verse 12, uh, against all the gods of Egypt. And, and uh, you remember, I believe, uh, early on, or at least earlier, uh, when we got to the portion where we had the 10 plagues, uh, that the Egyptians had uh, some 1,500-plus gods and goddesses. Uh, and you can imagine the colossal letdown that this is for them. 
uh, because to have that many gods and goddesses and they haven't heard a peep from anyone uh, and in no way uh, have their gods tried to stand uh, against the true God. And so God has made it crystal clear uh, that he is in control uh, and that things will happen as he has uh, declared. Uh, looking at what uh, some other sources had to say concerning this, so far God has demonstrated his full control over the natural creation. He had caused his servant Moses to announce the su successive plagues and brought them to pass an invincible sequence and growing severity when the Pharaoh ever more persistently refused to acknowledge Israel's God in face of the clearest credentials of his authority and power. In this final plague came the most explicit sign of God's precise and full control, the death of the firstborn only. Not just that people died, but in every house, in, in, in each case, it was the firstborn nor did it come without warning. Uh, Pharaoh had been told from the very beginning uh, that God was going to show his signs and wonders if he did not heed uh, to the demands of God. And you remember at the very first, uh, Pharaoh said, well, who is the Lord, you know, that I should hearken to his voice? What Pharaoh was saying is, hey, you all may have a God, but I'm the man around here uh, in Egypt. And so Pharaoh would live to see who the Lord is uh, and to learn uh, that there is no one like the Lord our God. The Pharaoh had had every opportunity to acknowledge God and obey his behest, and so he had to take the consequences of his uh, consequences of refusal. And again, we don't want to miss here, uh, Pharaoh serves as an example of what rebellion and stubbornness uh, will earn a man. Uh, the things that happened to Pharaoh, the principle is still at, at work today. And those that refuse God will certainly, uh, if not until the judgment, have to give an account to God uh, and take the consequences uh, of refusal. Uh, I want to cite uh, another source here. In Egypt, Pharaoh was also considered a deity. And this last plague is directed at him. In the ninth plague, his father, the sun god, uh, Ray by name, was defeated, and now his son, presumably the heir to the throne, will be slaughtered. This is a blow to Pharaoh's person, his kingship, and his divinity. Uh, so if ever there was a time to stand up and oppose God, if they could, surely now would have been the time. Uh, he has defeated all of their gods. Uh, this would include the chief god. It would include Pharaoh himself. And now Pharaoh's son is dead. Uh, if, if ever you all were going to do something about what God is doing, uh, surely this would have been uh, the time so to do. And it, uh, you know, no wonder to us, uh, it has played out as God said it would and it has never happened other than as God said it would. So moving on there in chapter 12, uh, you know, at all that time I was talking, I wanted to pop verse 29, uh, that portion of the text back up there. So we'll keep moving because we have read that much. 
verse 37. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot aside from children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds, a very large number of livestock. They baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And, that, and at the end of 430 years, to the very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be observed for the Lord for having brought them out from the land of Egypt. This night is for the Lord to be observed by all the sons of Israel throughout their generations. When we look at uh, verses 37 through 42, uh, one of the things that we have to remember is that the things that are inexplicable and seemingly impossible to man uh, pose no problem uh, for God. Uh, there is a lot of doubt uh, based on the details that uh, are given here, uh, but faith explains what reason cannot. And, and I don't say that to mean that we have a blind faith in the God that we serve. Uh, but any God worth being served has to know more and be capable of more than those who serve him, uh, else that entity really is uh, no God. Uh, so now it's mentioned in verse 37 uh, that they traveled from Ramesses to uh, Sukkoth. Uh, now, scholars differ on the location of both places, uh, and our inability to place them where they actually would have been doesn't mean that they were not there. Uh, this is uh, what you see on your screens right now, one of a number of possibilities. Uh, we may not know the exact route or the exact location of some of these places, but what we do know is that it happened even as God relates to us uh, through Moses. Now, the round number that we're given there uh, 600,000 uh, agrees with the more exact figure of 603,550 given in Exodus 38 verse number 26. Uh, that same figure appears uh, several times uh, in the book of Numbers. Uh, but if there are 600,000 men, uh, the total number of the group that left Egypt uh, would uh, could could and would have easily been in excess of two million people. Uh, now that's an enormous task trying to uh, guide two million people. Uh, but remember, God was leading them and supplying their needs. And, and let us never labor under the delusion that what man can explain or what man can't do is thus impossible. Uh, the Bible is very careful to remind us. Uh, about the idea of uh, ascribing things impossible to us as impossible to God. Uh, one of the, uh, the first you see there, Matthew 19, verse 26, and looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And again, to be God, God has to be greater than we are. He has to know more than we know he has to be able to do things that we are unable to do. 
And because he is God, he does not owe us any particular explanation. Uh, our lot is to believe on the basis of what he has shown us. Uh, that gives us faith in all things, uh, the ability to have faith in all things uh, that he has said. Uh, in Genesis 18, verse number 14, uh, the question is asked, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Of course, that's a rhetorical question. And nothing is too difficult for God. Uh, you remember this being uh, from the time of Abraham and Sarah uh, in their old age having uh, a son. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Now, again, looking at this thing from a medical standpoint, uh, here they are, well advanced in years. They've never had children before, and God says they're going to have uh, a son. Uh, that's hard to believe based on the evidence that we have before us. But remember, God transcends uh, any evidence that we might have. Uh, God transcends uh, the laws of nature. Uh, have uh, another example here, Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Uh, Sometimes we just need to sit back and think about what God has done. God has brought this entire universe into existence, uh, and it required nothing more of him than to say, let there be, uh, and there was. Uh, and if you've ever stopped to look at uh, the human as an entity, the human being is quite remarkable. Uh, and the Genesis account relates to us that God made us from dirt. Now that's, that's, man, you want to talk about something that is uh, uh, just incredible, that, that God could take dirt and create uh, humanity. Uh, so again, when we take into consideration what God has done and who God is, why do we sit around ever contemplating that there might be a task too large uh, for God? I have just one more, again, from Jeremiah uh, 32, uh, this time verse number 27, behold, Hold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Uh, and this was applicable not only uh, in the days uh, of the Israelites as they were being led out of Egypt, uh, but it is still true in our world today. God is still the Lord, the God of all flesh, and there's nothing too difficult for him. And rather than spending our time uh, worrying and doubting God, it would be a wise investment to spend that time in prayer uh, and then have the hopeful expectation uh, that God will do uh, either what we have asked or God will do something better than that. Uh, do you know when you're a child of God, when you pray that that's what you get uh, every time you either get what you ask for or you get something better than what you ask for? Uh, now, the problem with us is we don't know better than what we ask for uh, many times when we see it, uh, but certainly it is a blessing to have a parent that will say no. It is a blessing to have a parent that does not give us everything that we ask for as we ask for it, uh, to have a parent who knows better than we do what we need and ever keeps our best interest at heart. And, and bear in mind, to limit God to what man can explain uh, and what man can do 
would not only deny God's work in our world, uh, it would cause us to deny the very existence of God himself. Uh, you know, I think about uh, the words of Moses back in Psalm 90, uh, Psalm 90, verse number two, uh, Moses says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Now, I don't care who you are and what your IQ may be, that just defies human reasoning, human understanding. Uh, God is from everlasting to everlasting, and with him, all things are possible. Uh, if we will not serve God by faith, we will not serve him uh, at all. So now let's get back over here uh, to the narrative, uh, chapter 12, verse number 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it, but every man's slave purchased, purchased with money after you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat of it. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. All the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. But if a stranger sojourns with you and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near to celebrate it. And he shall be like a native of the land but no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law shall apply to the native as to the stranger who sojourns among you. Then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that same day, the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, excuse me, out of the land of Egypt uh, by their host. And again, uh, we have a break in the narrative and we are given some additional information concerning the Passover. Uh, and in particular, in verses 43 through 47, uh, there are instructions as to who could participate uh, in this feast. And this was necessary in light of the mixed multitude that left Egypt with the children of Israel. Uh, God is very explicit about what he requires and in order to keep this pure and in order to keep it what God ordained it in the first place, God gives them some very specific uh, instructions. And I pray that we would observe that uh, in our world today when it comes to serving God, when it comes to the Lord's church and what a man needs to do in order to be saved. Uh, we are to observe what God has said so as not to pollute uh, or profane it. And when you look at our religious world today, it is clear that there has been a very wide departure uh, from the will of God concerning uh, uh, his will in terms of serving and worshiping him. Uh, but may it ever be so that there are those that regard the Lord, that regard his word, and that serve him even as he commands. So when we look here at chapter 12, uh, when we look at the highlights of the chapter, uh, we have the institution of the Passover, 
uh, there in verses 1 through uh, 28. And remember, uh, we're given uh, the institution of the Passover, but we're also given some information concerning uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember, the Feast of Unleavened Bread served to remind the people of their deliverance from uh, the Egyptian bondage. Uh, whereas the Passover specifically remembered uh, the death angel passing over the houses of the Israelites uh, during the 10th plague. Uh, in verses 29 through 36, we find uh, some details concerning the, uh, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn. And then in verses 37 through 42, we have the Israelites' departure uh, from Egypt. Then in verses 43 through 51, we have the law of the Passover. Uh, and again, there in verse number 43, uh, we read the words, this is the ordinance of the Passover. Well, an ordinance is a law. So this is God saying, this is how it is to be done. Uh, so he gave them specific commands concerning uh, how it was to be done, when it was to be done, uh, and who it was that could participate uh, in it. Uh, so having covered uh, that information, it brings us to the so what's for chapter 12. And I have just one item uh, from chapter 12, the so what, and that is Jesus, our Passover. And when we look at uh, the similarities and the significance of the Passover as related in chapter 12 and consider uh, Jesus, uh, uh, in our world today, uh, even as the blood on the door in obedience to God's command allowed Israel to be spared from the wrath of God, so the blood of Jesus, and that's when we are covered by it in obedience to God's command, uh, the blood of Jesus allows us to be spared uh, from the wrath to come. In Romans 5 verse 9, Paul declares much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. And so there are just a great many parallels uh, when you look at uh, the Passover and uh, Jesus as our Passover in our world today. Uh, when you look at uh, the Exodus narrative and you measure that by, <clears throat> excuse me, what is going on in our world today. Uh, one of the things uh, that we notice when we look at the Exodus narrative is death was imminent. Uh, God tells them, uh, you know, with no uncertainty that he's going to go through the land and that the firstborn are going to be slain uh, in every house where uh, the house is not covered with blood uh, according to uh, his prescription. Uh, and this is a sure thing uh, that that was going to happen. And death is imminent uh, for man today. Uh, you remember the declaration of Paul, Romans 6, 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, to those who are not covered by the blood of Jesus, uh, there's going to be uh, a time of reckoning. There's going to be a uh, 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 time that is similar in God going through the land of Egypt uh, at the judgment is going to be uh, the same thing. And those who are not covered by the blood are going to find themselves subject to the wrath of God. But another parallel that we see having said that is that God provided a way of escape. 
God was very clear in articulating uh, that the houses that had the blood uh, over the top and along the sides as he had prescribed uh, would in fact be spared. Uh, God has prepared the, uh, a way of escape for us in our world today, and it's called being baptized into Christ Jesus and then living faithfully uh, in his service uh, as a member of the kingdom. Uh, which brings us yet another parallel. Uh, Israel had to do something. Uh, they just couldn't sit around and hope that God would pass over knowing that they didn't want to die. Uh, there was something that Israel had to do. They had to put the blood over the house in the manner that God prescribed. And today, man must do something. Uh, Mark 16, 16, a uh, very familiar passage to all of us. Uh, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Man has to do something in order to be subject uh, to the grace and mercy of God uh, today. Uh, we know that Israel was spared after their obedience, and today we are spared after our obedience. In fact, uh, Hebrews 5, 9 says that uh, Jesus is the author of salvation to all them that obey him. Uh, and then uh, another parallel, uh, God established a memorial, uh, something that was to be used to instruct further generations and to remind uh, of the present generation of what God had done. And so the Passover would be uh, the equivalent uh, to our observing the Lord's Supper uh, in our modern time. And so certainly, uh, and, and I don't want to belittle the, the worship uh, at all, because anything that we do to God or uh, in, in uh, obedience to God's commands is very important. Uh, the Lord's Supper in particular serves to remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus made uh, for our sins. Now, if we pay attention to the songs we sing and the message uh, that is preached, uh, then certainly uh, we uh, appreciate that much of that can be seen uh, uh, outside of the Lord's Supper. Uh, we have a question here. Are we not responsible for those who are not covered in the blood of Christ if we do not share the Great Commission? Will we not be responsible for those lost souls? Uh, yes. Uh, there's no need to even bandy about that one. Uh, God calls us into the kingdom to be used uh, in preaching the gospel message so that others might uh, come into the kingdom. Uh, and if we want to go around with that, I would uh, refer us to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, also to uh, John chapter 15. Uh, God does not call us uh, to enter into the church and say, ooh, I made it. Uh, God calls us into the church with the expectation that we will be instrumental in sharing that news with others. Now, what they do with the information, we have no control over, but certainly God expects us to be sowers of the seed. Uh, yes, absolutely. All right, uh, let me do a time check here. Uh, we have, I, I always seem to get caught in midstream here. Uh, just enough time to get started, but not enough time to really do uh, justice to uh, what we are endeavoring to start. This would bring us at, uh, to Exodus chapter 13, 
uh, is a very even space to stop. So I've probably ran over a few minutes somewhere before, and I know somebody says amen to that. So I'm going to uh, drive a stake in it a few minutes early uh, tonight, and uh, prayerfully you all will consider that me redeeming uh, some of the time. Uh, that we may have run over. So I'm going to mark, Lord willing, that we will begin on next Wednesday at Exodus chapter 13, uh, and prayerfully uh, we'll resume at that point. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then again, there may be uh, just a brief interlude, some silence as the brethren prepare uh, for the devotion. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, again, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you for the blessings in life that you send. We thank you, Father, for being the God that you are. Father, we pray that you would bless our world as we uh, continue to uh, deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. Father, we pray uh, again for the leaders of the nations, for all of those who are working uh, in the best interest of others, for those who are uh, searching for a cure. But Father, above all, we pray that this might serve to uh, turn the hearts of men again to you, to uh, cause us to see uh, uh, as a, uh, cause the human family to appreciate, Father God, that there's none other beside you. Uh, help, it, uh, help us, Father, to appreciate uh, how much we need you. And Father, may this serve the ultimate purpose uh, of opening our eyes uh, to the need to be obedient to the things that you command. Father, we are mindful to pray for all of those who are dealing with health issues, those who are struggling with other trials and troubles in their living, asking, Father God, that you would bless them, each one according to their need, but above all, according to your will. And Father, above all, we thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who suffered and died, that through him we might live, and in his name we do pray and ask all things. Amen.